Hello, everyone. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. My name is Katie Trotta. I am your host. And for those of you who may be new to Health Formation, thank you for joining us. Welcome. And I did just want to reintroduce myself. Um, I am a clinical pharmacist, so I work in an outpatient setting on an interprofessional team of healthcare providers helping patients to manage chronic conditions. So I am clinically trained um, in pharmacology, therapeutics, and medication management to help people utilize the best medication regimen to help to control their disease state. So I specialize in things like diabetes, weight management, um, high blood pressure, hypertension, and um, high cholesterol. And I have a special interest and passion in also utilizing lifestyle medicine to help these patients to control their disease states and to help hopefully prevent the development of additional disease states. So utilizing nutrition, physical activity, um, mental health and well-being really to help heal the whole person and help people to live their best lives. So the goal of this podcast is really just to spread all the information that I've been learning on this wellness journey that I've been embarking on over the last few years to help you to also live your best life and also just to tell you what science says is correct because in a world of misinformation I hope that I can provide you some clarity and information that you can utilize to help live your best life and I think in a time when we are plagued with chronic conditions it's so important for people to have these modalities to utilize in addition to Western medicine um, to help them and help you live your best life. So thank you so much for being part of the Health Formation community. Um, and I hope that you have been enjoying this information. If you ever have any additional topics you would like us to cover or any questions you would like me to answer, please feel free to reach out to me on social media or through email. Um, I would love to answer those questions for you. Again, thank you for tuning in to Health Formation. Let's get to today's episode on keto. Today we have with us one of my friends, our special guest, Andrea. Hey, Andrea. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming. How's it going? It's going well. Um, So Andrea and I have been friends for... Actually, pretty much since I've moved down to North Carolina now, we were just talking about the other day that we became friends because our dogs became friends. <laughs> so then as a result, uh, we became friends. And Andrea um, actually just finished up PA school. I Woo-hoo. did, yes. So how'd it go? It went well. I did my master's of public health and physician assistant in one program. So it took three years. Yes. <laughs> so I'm happy to be finished. And we were just talking about how she's now gets a little time to relax between now and her, when her job starts in December. Yes. A few months of hobbies <laughs> make some money. <laughs> so thanks for joining us today. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about ketogenic diet, um, which I really wanted to bring to the podcast because I think that a lot of people um, are either doing the ketogenic diet, have heard of the ketogenic diet, or at some point have thought about doing the ketogenic diet. And it is definitely what I would consider a trendy diet in the science today. Um, and Andrea has been doing the ketogenic diet for how long? About six years on and off. Okay, on and off for six years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's an expert in her own um, practice and also at being a healthcare provider um, can talk to us about the science of the ketogenic diet. And so 
I really just want you guys to take the information from today's episode and figure out if this is the a good diet for you and if you can apply it to your life. Um, so that was really why I wanted to, to bring it on. Tell us a little bit about um, how you got into the ketogenic diet and how you started out doing it. So I've always been interested in nutrition. I've always thought it was interesting how you feel different based on what you put in your body. So I um, started actually with the Atkins diet several years ago, probably eight years ago. Really? Yes. I was doing it in college, um, even a little bit in high school. Um, And I liked it, but I always felt tired. It was not really for me. I enjoyed, you know, cutting out the carbs and kind of seeing the effects it had on my body. There's always a little bit of weight loss, but my main goal hasn't been weight loss as much as my general feeling, energy and things like that. So... Um, I did keep, or I did Atkins for a couple of years and then I read about keto and I thought I'd give it a try because one of their big sticks is that your energy increases on the diet. So I started doing keto about six years ago and I did find that my energy increased more so than with the Atkins diet. Um, and I, I found that there is, um, one of the claims to fame with ketogenic diet is the mental clarity and, um, the overall, well, feeling well. So, so Atkins and keto are both low carb diets. So what do you find is the main difference between those two diets? So Atkins, um, is a higher protein diet than ketogenic. So the ketogenic diet is a low carb diet, very low carb with uh, high fat and moderate protein versus Atkins is a low carb diet with high protein and low fat. Got it. So you're focusing more on the fat with keto and more of the, on the protein with Atkins. Right. And I think that's where the increase in energy for me came from because with Atkins, I didn't really have anything to give me energy the right. way that fat does when I do ketogenic diet. That makes sense because normally our bodies use glucose for fuel, which we'll talk about this um, more when we get into the science behind it. But so normally we're using glucose for fuel and in the ketogenic diet, you switch from using glucose to using ketones, which we get from burning fat. Um, so if you don't have that high fat component in the Atkins diet, that's probably why you were feeling more tired and having that lack of, I guess, more fogginess. Yes. Would you say? Yes. And then with the Atkins diet, the high protein um, can actually be converted into sugar through gluconeogenesis in your liver. Right. So it's almost like you're still eating carbohydrates. Right. Um, okay. So you've been doing it for, you said on and off for about six years. And so when do you kind of go off of it, go back on it? Is it, is it, do you do any kind of cyclical thing or do you just do it based on whatever else is going on in your life? So I've tried the cyclical. That's pretty big for people who do a lot of weightlifting. Okay. Um, I don't do a ton of weightlifting, okay. but I thought it was an interesting thing to try just the same way I got into keto in the first place. Sure. And I just think it's interesting to try different diets. Um, it's There's no real pattern to when I go on and off. Sometimes it's for my birthday. I'll go on <laughs> so I can have cake. Okay. <laughs> um, but I almost always feel better on keto and I, you know, it's hard to get back into ketosis, right. but once I do, I'm always glad that I'm there. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? So the transitioning period for when you are starting out keto and you're not yet in ketosis, mm-hmm. kind of how that makes you feel and that process. Yes. So when you initially start cutting out carbohydrates, it's kind of, it feels like a shock to your body right? because carbohydrates are easy fuel for energy. So when I cut out carbohydrates, the first two days, I generally 
kind of feel low. I feel crappy. I don't feel great. Um, it takes, yeah, I guess those first two days to really get into ketosis and for your body to stop craving sugar. And the first couple of days you lose about five pounds just from water weight. It's not necessarily losing fat. Right. Um, but then as you get through those first two, some people it takes three or four days, you start to lose your sugar cravings. You start to increase your energy. You increase your mental clarity. Um, but it does take a little bit and it can be discouraging, especially if you've been eating carbs your whole life and then you just cut them out. It doesn't always feel very good. Yeah. So I think that's definitely one of the harder parts for people is getting into ketosis because you don't, in that kind of in-between period, you don't really have any fuel. You don't have any carbs and you don't have any ketones. So you Mm -hmm. kind of just feel bad. Um, so when you're doing it, do you count macros or do you just try to limit your carbs? What kind of, what do you do? I definitely counted macros in the very beginning. The first few years, I think it's important in the beginning of just becoming familiar with keto to count your macros so you know exactly what you're eating. Because okay. if you don't count your macros and you're accidentally getting a bunch of carbohydrates from your salad dressing, something random that you don't think has carbohydrates in it, you could stall getting into keto and that's really discouraging. Right. So Counting your macros and just being familiar with what has how much sugar in it is really helpful. Okay. The beginning. So what what is your goal for your macros, either in percent of calories or in your grams do you look at for carbs? So I always keep it under 50 net carbs. Okay. So what's the difference between carbs and net carbs? So fiber, it, so fiber is a carbohydrate. So if you have something that has 10 grams of carbohydrates but 5 grams of fiber – you can subtract that five grams of fiber from the 10 carbohydrates and you're eating five net carbs. Right. So that's awesome. So that actually is really important because one of the things that I love, which you know, if you listen to this podcast is fiber. (laughs) And I want to ensure that if you are choosing a ketogenic diet, that you are still getting enough fiber. So if you're doing the net carbs, do you subtract all your fiber or... Yes. Okay. Yes. Because a lot of vegetables have a lot of fiber in them. Right. And you don't want to cut out vegetables exactly. to yes. do keto. Yes. So that is very important. So you want to try to still keep your fiber in. So if you're choosing those more whole grain um, carb options like quinoa or um, a whole grain bread, it's going to have more fiber. So then that actually decreases your net carbs. And then like Andrea said, vegetables may have, especially starchy vegetables, may have um, carbs in them, but they also are high in fiber. So you can subtract that out as well. Um, so getting your, um, goal down to 50 net carbs, um, is what you yes. do. Yes. Cause I'm not, I don't try to lose weight on keto. I think right. the, the lower you bring your carbohydrate level, the more likely you are to lose weight. Okay. So my goal is just to be in ketosis because it makes me feel better. It's not necessarily the weight loss, but I think if you were, um, initially starting out on keto, I think it's great to start around 20, but you definitely don't want more than 50. Yeah, I think a lot of um, studies that I've read um, start out with a lower goal. I usually see 30, but I have Mm -hmm. seen 20 as well. And then you can push it to 50 after Mm -hmm. a time period of a few months. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about going into ketosis. So what exactly does that mean? So when you stop eating carbohydrates, we talked about your body starts to look for fuel in other places. So you really need to eat a lot of fat. So when you stop eating the carbohydrates, you increase your fat and your body switch switches to ketosis um, and produces ketones, which is the byproduct of the fat that you're burning. The ketones are used as energy, fuel, 
uh, your brain actually likes ketones for energy. So you also will lose, um, initially you lose about five pounds depending on who you are, but right. people generally lose about five pounds to start because carbohydrates hold water. Yep. So, um, as you start depleting your carbohydrates and your glycogen stores, you end up getting rid of a lot of water and the loss of water weight can be really great as an initial motivator for people. Um, but it will come back when right. you start eating carbohydrates again. Right. So glycogen is our stored forms of glucose. Um, it also, with th- those stores, you store water. So when you're first getting rid of your carbs, you're losing that water. Um, which that like people love that. They're like, oh, I've done keto for a week and I've lost five pounds. <laughs> it's water weight. Once you eat a carb, it's going to come back. But it is good in the it's beginning. Motivating. If you're using it for weight loss, it really is motivating yes. for people. They love that. Yes. So one thing that I did want to mention, um, so you're eating a, you're eating a high fat diet when you're eating ketogenic. Um, and so a lot of what I research and teach my patients, um, for insulin resistance is a low fat diet, um, because of the increase in insulin resistance when you have a high fat diet. So in patients that are, don't have risk for diabetes, um, if you're otherwise healthy, um, if you don't have cardiovascular disease, this isn't really going to be that much of a um, problem for you. But if you do have type two diabetes or even type one diabetes, doing a high-fat diet can increase your insulin resistance. So basically, insulin resistance is caused by uh, lipotoxicity, which means you have too much fat. So when you are consuming more fat than your um, body can burn or body can use, that fat ends up getting stored in first your adipose tissue, which is where it's supposed to be stored. Um, But then your adipose tissue starts to kind of get overtaxed and it can't store all of that fat. So then it goes to your muscle cells and your liver cells. And normally when you eat glucose, your muscle cells and your liver cells are what's supposed to take in that glucose and you use it up. Um, but when you are eating too much fat, your cells are already kind of taxed and they're already filled up with that fat. And they're like, hey, we have to use this energy first before we can take in any more. And then what happens is your the glucose ends up just staying in your in your bloodstream. And so the insulin is still doing its signaling. It's still going over to the muscle cells and to the cells in the liver and saying, hey, we got some glucose here, but then those cells don't respond to it the way that they're supposed to. And then that's what insulin resistance is. And so over time, that insulin resistance increases our risk for diabetes and can eventually cause diabetes if you have uh, a lot of insulin resistance. And so With a ketogenic diet, you are eating that high fat, but then you're not really signaling that insulin because you don't have those carbs coming in. So really, um, in a standard American diet, when you're eating kind of a high fat and high carb, that's really when the insulin resistance is really problematic because you're eating all that fat, clogging up all those cells, and then you're getting all these carbs in, stimulating all that insulin, and then that's when your blood sugar starts to rise. So that's just an interesting thing that I wanted to throw in there and talk about too, um, with keto and insulin resistance. What else, anything else that you think that our listeners should know about just like basics of keto, um, before we talk about a little bit more about the science. So the only thing that I forgot to mention earlier, I sort of alluded to, but the keto flu that everyone, (laughs) I've never heard of this hated keto flu. Yeah. So when you're first getting into ketosis, you can feel terrible. 
Because you're losing all that water and electrolytes at the same time, people call it the, quote, keto flu. Okay. Um, but that can be avoided with increasing your electrolyte intake okay. when you're initially starting, like increasing your sodium and magnesium, things like that. So, um, like, drinking – well, you can't really drink Gatorade because no. it has sugar. Yeah, so, so like, chicken, chicken broth. Chicken broth? Okay. Chicken broth is a really good one. And then um, some companies sell little tablets, like the Noon tablets. They don't have sodium, but they do have electrolytes in them. Okay. And they're keto-friendly. So – that's just something that I wanted to mention because a lot of times people are like, oh, you do keto. Like, I tried it, but I had the keto flu, so I quit. It's not something that will be there forever. Right. But, um, it can deter people from trying keto in the first place. Okay. That's interesting. Um, we talked a little bit about electrolyte loss when we were talking about intermittent fasting just because it's kind of a similar – like, you can go into a little bit of ketosis if you're doing mm-hmm. a long enough fast. Um, and we talked about that you should definitely supplement in those electrolytes, so it's mm-hmm. a similar process. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to our article. Um, so Andrea actually found a meta-analysis. It's called Very Low Carbohydrate Ketogenic Diet versus Low-Fat Diet for Long-Term Weight Loss. Um, and so a meta-analysis is a compilation of a lot of studies, and they use it to increase the the power of the study. So it takes um, patients from all of those studies and compiles them into one if the studies were done pretty similarly, um, and it helps us to have more validity in our results. So a meta-analysis is actually a very strong um, kind of literature that we like to look at. And the one thing that I actually really, really liked about this meta-analysis is the duration. So um, Andrea will talk a little bit about it, but it's a longer duration. And a lot of times when you're trying to get information on keto, um, what you'll hear people say um, is we need more long-term data. We need more long-term data. And so I think that this study does help to give us that a little bit initially. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the studies that they included in this meta-analysis. Yeah, so um, the requirements to be in this meta-analysis, which Katie explained, is basically a study of trends on a particular topic. The first thing was it had to be a randomized controlled trial, which means that there has to be groups separated into two different groups. And in this case, it's very low-carb ketogenic diet or a low-fat diet. Um, The participants had to be at least 18 years old and with a BMI of greater than 27.5. As far as like the length of the trial, um, the length of the study, the patients had to be followed for at least 12 months, which is what Katie was talking about when she said a long-term follow-up. So most of the studies, um, when you search for ketogenic diet, at least in 2013 when the study came out, only had a six-month follow-up. So the inclusion criteria to have a 12-month follow-up really narrowed down the search. Um, Another inclusion was they must have a change of body weight as the primary outcome for all the trials and cardiovascular measures as a secondary outcome. Cardiovascular measures are things like changes in cholesterol, triglycerides, A1C, um, and blood pressure. And then the biggest exclusion criteria involved with this meta-analysis was that there can't be any pharmacological agents involved in the weight loss. Right. So no medication, supplements, anything like that. So people could be on medications for like their cholesterol or their blood pressure, but right. they can't be on weight loss medications. Exactly. So how did they define the keto diet and the low-fat diet? So the requirement for the ketogenic diet in this meta-analysis was... Uh, 10% of calories were coming from carbohydrates, which generally translates to like the 20 to 50 that we were talking about, usually closer to 20. Um, and that's out of a 2000 calorie diet. 
The low-fat diet is less than or equal to 30% of calories coming from fat, which means about 400 calories in a 2,000-calorie diet right. coming from fat. So a 30, just my intervention on the low-fat diet, generally 30% is considered to be uh, less than 30% of calories is considered to be a low-fat diet in the literature. But our diets that we look at that are true low-fat diets that help with disease um, reversal, like the Ornish diet um, and the Engine 2, they actually use less than 20%. The Ornish diet even has one version where they stay around 10%, which is really, really hard. Um, but that is just something to consider when you're looking at a low-fat diet um, and the definition of a low-fat diet. So with all the uh, criteria that we just mentioned, they found over 3,000 studies um, that fit most of the criteria. But then when they added in the follow-up of a 12-month period, we actually only have 13 studies that met all the requirements. Right. So we had about 1,500 individuals, about 700 in the low-fat section, about 800 in the very low-carb ketogenic diet right. group. And... Um... The minimum duration was 12 months, but some studies did go up to 24 months. Um, so what did they find in regards to weight loss or at the end of the study? So the um, end of the study was based on each study individually. It could have been 12 months, 15, 24. What was the difference in weight loss between the groups? So they found the average weight loss for the very low-carb ketogenic diet to be about 11 pounds okay. through the whole follow-up. And then for the low-fat diet, they found about 9.5 pounds. Okay. And then, so then the difference was about two pounds between the groups favoring the keto diet. Mm -hmm. um, and they did say that that was statistically significant. So that is good. Um, two pounds clinically seems a little small, but mm -hmm. it is definitely hard to follow any lifestyle changes that far out, which is right. definitely one of the biggest problems with a lifestyle modification, any lifestyle modification right. study. Um, and they also found for cholesterol numbers that both HDL and LDL increased. So In H the keto group. Sorry, yes. In the keto group, they found that the HDL and LDL increased. Yep. Um, good for HDL. You want your HDL high. Not so good for your bad cholesterol, which is your LDL. Right. So that was, that increased, which is not a good thing, right? Yeah, I think the consensus on most keto studies that I've looked at is that LDL will increase. In the keto group. Just because of all the saturated fat. Yeah. So saturated fat tends to be higher when you're eating a lot of animal protein. Mm -hmm. um, and so that does cause your LDL to increase. And then that is one of the reasons why if you are someone that has a cardiovascular history or a family history of cardiovascular disease, which we'll talk about this more, you should use a little bit more caution with keto as well. Any other results that they found that were interesting or different between the groups? So they also found there was a decrease in diastolic blood pressure for the very low-carb ketogenic diet, but it was very insignificant. I yeah. So, so diastolic <laughs> is your bottom number on your blood pressure. So you're getting your blood pressure is systolic over diastolic. Um, and they found like a, what was it, two? Uh, 1.48 millimeters mercury. <laughs> right. So it's a very small difference. We didn't really feel like that was clinically significant mm -hmm. because your blood pressure ha is so variable. If you drink a coffee, if you sat for five minutes before you got it taken, if your feet are flat on the floor. Um, if you're mildly stressed out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which most people are. <laughs> it's good that it was trending down, um, but not a huge difference. Yeah. The last thing they looked at, um, which not all of the studies included this, so I don't know how powerful this is, but right. 
the fasting blood glucose, the insulin analysis, the A1C number, and the C-reactive protein, which is an inflammation marker. Yep. All of these numbers went down and favored the very low-carb ketogenic diet. Right. But again, I don't know how powerful that was because they had, for example, in the fasting blood glucose, they only had eight studies that investigated this. The insulin, they only had six studies. Um, A1C, which is an average of your blood sugar for the past 90 days, only four studies looked at that. Right. So I don't know if that's considered significant. Right. It is something we can consider. I have heard, so the insulin analysis of what they're doing is looking at insulin resistance and to see if there's a change in insulin resistance. And it is a little bit difficult to judge the validity of the insulin resistance in patients that are doing a ketogenic diet because they're not eating any glucose. So it's really hard to see to say how your insulin is functioning when it's not really being challenged with glucose. So the true measure of your insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity would be based on its function after you eat glucose or eat carbohydrates, um, which is something that wasn't included in any of these studies. I don't really ever see that included in studies, um, but that is something to consider as well. I think one of the most interesting things in the study was the adherence to the keto diet by the end of the study. (laughs) So what did they find? Yeah, it was weak. (laughs) Yeah, so they found that only one of the studies had people who were still on the ketogenic diet within the 50 carbohydrates a day. Right. Um, One out of the 13 studies, and it was 36 carbs a day, I think. Yes. Which was great, but that was also the study that had intermittent counseling for for the... Participants, right? That's important. So there was out of the 13 studies, like Andrew said, only one study, the participants were still considered to be in ketosis or in following a ketogenic diet, I should say, at the end of the study. And so I, I, and that study also had really good weight loss. They had like 13 kilograms for the keto diet, which is about 26, 28 pounds. Um, So I actually looked at that study and the main difference between that study was that they had a very intensive like nutrition counseling every two weeks for the first two months and then monthly for two years. Um, And so I think that that really just reiterates the importance of health coaching and accountability when you're trying to lose weight because that really helps help those people to be able to adhere to their diet. And it was similar for the low-fat group. Those people were also very adherent to their their low-fat diet as well. With the counseling? Yes. Yeah, I will say, so as long as I've been going on and off of keto, I don't think I've ever done more than three months very strict at a time. Right. I don't know what it is, but there's something that makes me fall off every three right. months. Um, I don't know why or maybe if I had counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so any other weaknesses or any other things from this study that we would want to bring up? Um, I think with just the design of a meta-analysis, it's really hard to get a good understanding of individual success in the study. That's true. Uh, it's just looking at the trend of all the studies together, which we looked at as what, 1500 patients or something. So I think it's hard to make any kind of, um, like profound conclusions off of this, but it is it's helpful to see the trend. So how do we apply this to our listeners? How, if someone is interested in doing a ketogenic diet based on this and based on what you know, what do we want to tell them? What are some things that they should consider? So I think any kind of cardiovascular issue, like Katie talked about in the beginning, this is really not for you because of the increase in LDL cholesterol, which is the bad one. Um, It's probably not a good fit. 
if you're a vegan, I probably wouldn't recommend the ketogenic diet. <laughs> it would be very difficult. <laughs> you'd be really hungry. <laughs> there is some kind of vegan keto out there, but yeah, I just imagine sure. myself like drinking oil and it, <laughs> it doesn't seem great. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think, I mean, I think the ketogenic diet is very individually based and there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think overall, if you do decide to do the ketogenic diet, it's important to do it in a clean way, a clean, yep. sustainable way. So, so do you mean that you shouldn't be putting butter on your steak? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's do you considered do that? clean. <laughs> I mean, I think you need to reach a certain amount of fat. So, but there are good ways and bad ways to do that okay. if you eat fat. So I don't think you need to be on a ketogenic diet if you're on a really, really tight budget for your food. Um, I don't think you should go to the grocery store and buy just like a six pack of bologna and consider that a right. keto diet. There needs to be a lot of vegetables, a lot of sustainable meat. So you need to know where the meat is coming from. Right. If it's quality meat, I don't think you need to buy the cheapest meat there. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think anything that we can do to not support traditional agriculture and farming is great. If you know your farmer, go to the farmer's market, get the pasture raised beef, and it's healthier for the animal, the planet, and you because you are eating meat that is sustainably sourced and it doesn't have added hormones or byproducts. If the cow eats a healthier diet, you are going to be eating healthier meat. One thing that people always say when I talk to them about trying to limit their meat is, well, my grandfather ate cow and he lived until 102. And yes, that's true. But when your grandfather was growing up, at the agriculture industry was very, very different than it is today. And so the way that our cows eat now is that they are force-fed a lot of food, a lot of grain, they gain a lot of weight, and the steak that we eat today is a lot higher in fat and saturated fat than it was in the 80s before we had this big switch of agriculture. And so if you are choosing food that is pasture-raised and sustainably sourced, it's good for the animal and it's also more beneficial to you. Sorry, I think I just got on a soapbox in Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I completely agree. I think it's important to know where your food is coming from. And that's kind of like my whole thing is knowing what you're putting in your body, where it came from and how it really affects you and affects people around you. Right. And what about, can you talk a little bit more too about just like the processed meats as well? So the only thing that I can really say about processed meats is what I've heard from, um, podcasts and um, different like Netflix documentaries. So the what the health, Mm -hmm. I think it would be hard to get out of this episode of podcasts without talking about what the health. So some people say that the processed meats increase your risk of cancer. And I think there's a lot of validity to that. Yes. I don't think there's anything great about eating that. And I think if you look at a package of bologna, I hate to hate on bologna. If you like it, I'm sorry. (laughs) But if you look at a package of bologna and then you look at meat at your farmer's market, that costs probably three times as much. Right. At least you can make a decision. What is good? What is a good decision? What is a bad decision? Just knowing where that meat's coming from. Right. So if you are trying to do this, I would recommend really trying to avoid like any cold cuts. Um, and then, also included in the processed meats would be like hot dogs, salami, pepperoni, all of those are considered to be processed meats. And we do know that those greatly increase your risk for colon cancer. Um, They're considered a class one carcinogen by the World Health Organization. And they also increase your risk for um, type two diabetes as well. So there is a way to still do this and 
do it in the healthiest way possible. Um, so that is really what I would encourage. Um, and then the other thing is really ensuring that you're still getting an adequate amount of fiber. Um, so I, we touched on this earlier, but can you just talk a little bit more about how you ensure that you are getting an adequate amount of fiber doing keto? So vegetables is the biggest source of fiber for me. Yes. Um, things like broccoli, cauliflower, even spinach has a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also other things that you can add to make sure that you're getting enough fiber. Psyllium husks are yep. really good. And then some people supplement with like citrusel just to make sure that like they are getting enough fiber. Right. Um, but I don't think it's ever been a major challenge for me. What about, do you eat any fruits? I eat berries. Okay. Yeah. So most people that are on keto eat berries because they're the mm -hmm. lowest. Um, or you can, I guess you can eat the most for one serving of carbs. Right. Yeah. yeah. Blueberries is really good and really high in antioxidants too. Yeah, definitely. Which, yeah. So based on this, when would you, or what would be a good patient that you would consider um, for keto? Or if somebody is considering, when would you say, yes, I think that keto is good for you? I think a patient who um, is willing to make a pretty drastic change and it would be a sustainable change for them because keto is kind of like, you really need to commit to it. Right. You can't just do keto like two days a week and be like, I'm not no. losing weight. I don't know what's up. So I think as long as the person was really um, interested in it and committed to it, that would be a good person. Someone who has lower cardiovascular risk, like we talked about. So I definitely would want to get some labs before starting keto. Definitely. Keto. What about the duration? So I think it's really good to jumpstart someone's weight loss. I so, agree. And it also really helps with people for someone who is eating a lot of processed food and a lot of like cereal and yep. crackers and things that you really don't need as much as we eat. You definitely don't so need. So I think <laughs> getting someone on a ketogenic diet and forcing them to look at their macros every day and see, oh my gosh, I'm eating 270 carbs every day, but I'm completely sedentary. That's really not a good way to live. Right. Yeah. So I agree with both of those points completely. So I think that for jumpstarting weight loss, it's definitely a good option for people um, because of number one, the initial weight loss with the water weight with the glycogen stores. And then two, people are also going to see an initial weight loss because they're cutting out so many processed foods and cutting out processed food automatically is going to make you healthier no matter what you're doing. Um, and I, what I really like about what you said is just the focus on the vegetables, because I think a lot of times when people are thinking about keto, they forget that that needs to be in there. Yes. And so keeping that in there is definitely going to keep you, um, your gut healthier long-term. So I like that as well. I agree. Any other important points or any other messages that you would like our people to take home about keto that you think is important? Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't think it's for everybody, but I think if you're willing to give it a try, you might actually enjoy it. Just get through the first couple days and your cravings go away. Um, you definitely have more mental clarity, more energy, and overall it can be a really great diet if you do it the right way. So if people are interested in learning more about keto, do you have any resources or anything that you utilize or you can recommend um, maybe for recipes or additional information? Um, so for recipes, it's called I Eat, I Breathe. I eat, I breathe. Yeah. Is it an app? No, it's just a website. Okay. Um, and then just for general information, uh, Dr. Finney and Dr. Volrick on YouTube, um, and Dr. Westman, he's actually a physician at Duke. Hmm. Um, those are all really good resources. And you can just type in Dr. Finney. It's P-H-I-N-N-Y, I think. Okay. 
and Valoric. Um, they're sort of like the founding fathers of, of keto. Okay. So awesome. They have some really good videos. Awesome. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for your insight on keto and for chatting with us today. Um, I think that we, this was definitely a conversation that I thought was important to have. And I think that we provided a lot of information to people who might still be able to do keto and try to do it in the way that's healthiest for them. I agree. Thank you, Katie. Um, so in wrapping up my final question, uh, that I would like to ask you is what is your one health and wellness tip that you can provide to our listeners that they should take away from today's episode or take away from you in general as a clinician? So my advice would be to make small changes every day. So Love your it. changes really add up and um, ultimately result in a healthier person. So maybe keto is not for you. Maybe you're more interested in the vegan diet, the whole food diet, whatever it is. Just make your small changes every day and ultimately you'll have a pretty healthy diet. Awesome. That is a great tip. Yes, I would agree <laughs> with that completely. Um, so thank you guys so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions for Andrea or if you have any questions for me or ideas for future episodes, feel free to reach out to me either on our Facebook page, which is Health Formation, or you can shoot me an email, which is healthformation.podcast at gmail.com. And thank you guys all for tuning in and I hope you have a happy and healthy day. 